Good morning. If you would, turn in the, your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. I'll be reading from verses 10 to 22. And then in, we'll be turning to Matthew chapter 28. If you do not have a Bible, the scripture should be on the screens behind me or in your bulletin. Please follow along. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in, his, in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I can come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which if I set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Now, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Verses 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, you tell us in your word through the Apostle Paul when I am weak, then I am strong. I will therefore gladly boast in my weaknesses. There's never a time that I stand to do this where I don't feel a measure of weakness. I would admit a greater level than usual today for many reasons, and ask for your help. 
that your people would not be hindered by my fatigue or sorrow. We thank you that we come to you in the name of the one known as the man of sorrow, acquainted with grief, our great high priest, prophet, and king, Jesus, who has stood in the gap for us and who is the ladder of Jacob's dream, upon whom the angels ascend and descend in their ministering affairs on our behalf. Attend to us today. Speak to us through your word. Accomplish your good work in us, preserving, keeping, empowering, strengthening, comforting. We love you, the God who speaks, infinitely powerful and mighty, sharper than two-edged sword word. Accomplish your purposes in us today. Have mercy, we pray, on our friends at Northland Church and all those who are acquainted with our brother Orlando Rivera. You give, you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We pray for that service today. A celebration of that life, well lived, for the encouragement of his wife and all the children Orlando left behind. Continue to lift up as well. Lord, Kevin Collins household. We're much aware in our community lately that life is a vapor. And so we say, Lord willing, we will be here or go there, or do this. And we thank you that dying is great gain when living is Christ. Show us how to run the race today with full vigor, eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In his name we ask it. Amen. Brian Chapel tells this story in his book, Holiness by Grace. A young man called his pastor late at night and asked if he would meet him in the morning. They made arrangements for breakfast. The next morning, the young man told his pastor that on a recent business trip, he had stayed too late at the hotel bar with a woman colleague. The alcohol distance from home, easy laughter the two shared had led to the obvious. They ended up together. Now what? Asked the man. The pastor took a deep breath. He thought of the young wife and small children whose lives could be so terribly affected by a night of indiscretion. 
to preserve the family, he briefly considered advising the young man to cover up the error. But then the eternal consequences of establishing such a spiritual pattern convinced him that honesty was the path to follow. To make the young man think biblically about what he must do, the minister asked him a series of questions. One, had he prayed to ask God's forgiveness and pardon? Two, had he confessed his sin to the young woman involved and told her that the intimacy would never happen again? Three, had he confessed his wrong to his wife and asked her forgiveness? Four, and if he was not yet ready to do that, had he at least arranged to have an AIDS test? For until he had been tested, he could not approach the marriage bed without endangering his wife and the child she was expecting. The young man listened to each of the questions without expression or comment. When the pastor finished, the young man pushed his breakfast plate away from him, leaned back in his seat and said, quote, I came for grace not discipline, you disappoint me, pastor. The words cut the pastor to the heart. He did not wonder if what he had said on this occasion was wrong. He wondered, rather, what he had said in the past that would lead an intelligent, capable man such as this to believe the promises of grace mean we will never have to face any consequences for wrongdoing. We return today for a second look at Genesis 28, arguably the most famous of stories with blessings bearer number three, Jacob. Remember, he's on the road, a fugitive to Haran. He flees his brother's wrath, largely due to the inevitable consequences for his sin, documented in chapter 27. But to his surprise, at some point, on the some 500-mile, month-long journey, just when he needed it so, God showed up in the most remarkable way. He dreams of a ladder connecting earth to heaven. Angels ascend and descend upon it. He sees the great I am standing above it and he experiences the wonder of sovereign free grace. His failures do not affect his standing. God is still very much with him. 
And that's how we summarize the main point last week for both part one and now part two of blessings bearer on the road. Here it is again, my main idea. God's blessing of his people is guaranteed wherever they go. Last week, we started to work through three aspects of this comforting thought from God's word. Blessing in hard places. Blessing with grace gifts. And blessing for heart responses. We got halfway. We ended up unpacking the first two of four Grace gifts that are part of God's promise on the road, on our journey. Perspective and protection. The latter dream offered the perspective of God in the hard places, always, without fail. And protection, the angels ascending and descending. Ministering spirits. I thought so often by your mom's deathbed in light of being immersed in this text how the invisible realm attended every moment of that including the moment we were awakened at 345 and rushed into the womb and saw her breathing no more. Oh, to be reminded the veil that exists between the realm that you and I see right now and that invisible realm and all that God is doing behind it on our behalf without fail. Without fail in the C-section tomorrow. Without fail, the bariatric surgery unit on Thursday. Without fail, next Monday, when they do something to your job similar to that they did to mine. And every other appointment, concern, issue, dilemma, hardship, none of it's meaningless. None of it fails to have the attention of the unseen realm. This is the perspective and the protection that comes with Jacob's ladder, Genesis 28. Two more grace gifts. One perspective, two protection, three promises. We pick them up in the middle of verse 13. With this dream and its attendant perspective and protection implication, stunning enough, 
the vision, the dream, and its import, stunning enough for Jacob, God's grace. But she gets more. Vision, dream, words. God speaks to him. Verse 13, look at it, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, God said, God spoke, I am the Lord, the I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. She connects now Jacob the fugitive, who's now in a transforming grace experience to the past blessings bearers. He wants him to see himself in this role and capture the import of it. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. I, that God, I'm talking to you in this dream. The lamb on which you lie. Remember, he's out cold on the road in the promised land on this journey. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like, this is new terminology, the dust of the earth. What a vivid metaphor. And you shall spread abroad to the west. This is also new terminology. Every time God comes to the bearers of blessing who are on this road, this long journey of God keeping his promise of Genesis 3.15, a saving offspring will come at the, at the fullness of time in this. Every time God brings this promise to bear, he embellishes it. He enhances it. It becomes more stunning, more massive, more, more impactful, like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring, and we know by Paul in Galatians what he ultimately means is the promised seed, Jesus, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Asia, in Africa, in South America, the islands, Australia, New Zealand, from pole to pole, shore to shore, all, Matthew 28, ethne. It is, listen to me now, the long arc of redemption that all the peoples from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group will be made one in a glorious family that is the church, the redeemed. Ethnic diversity is the vision of the high king of heaven. Jew and Gentile alike in one body, Ephesians 2 and 3. 
This is the great grand vision of God. We labor in missions to that end. Across the globe, we labor in mission to that end in this state by sending that man right there and his family to South Florida. To a community that God has put on him and Stacy's heart. And we are all in with that vision and his calling. Because it is the grand mission of the gospel. To this man, Jacob, who arguably deserves cursing for his deception, dishonoring, and blasphemy. Guess what? Grace. Just like you and me. Grace. He's not spared consequences for his folly, but he's not abandoned by God. There are, I know, I, there are others with similar stories who come under the preaching of the gospel. Hear this. Similar stories to the one with which I opened this message. You're not spared your consequences, but you are not abandoned by God. If your plea is Jesus' blood and righteousness, nothing less, nothing more, you are dressed in his righteousness alone as deeply flawed as you and I are. You are not erased from his plan. God continues to work and will continue to work through 20 brutal years with Uncle Laban, Jacob's match in deception. 20 brutal years of disciplining. God will accomplish his saving purpose. Two fundamental commitments that God makes in the way of blessing to this bearer. Land, this land you lie upon, you're coming back. And descendants, like the dust of the earth. The only way I like dust is this metaphor. This is just amazing, and it's so hard to grapple with. (laughs) We're in this watch on... Friday was it that the stand-in hospice nurse came in, the gentleman from Guyana. 
And I'm not sleeping well through this, and I'm on the couch, and it's cold. The AC is up high. I've got a, I'm on the couch, right, in the, in the living room of this one-bedroom apartment. I've got this um, blanket up around my neck, and this well-meaning delightful guy comes in. He sees me and assumes I'm the patient. Now, I know I'm old. I know I don't look that healthy. My jaw has been hammered time and time again. But I don't think I look that bad. I kid you not. He comes over to me and leans, leans over and says, are you having any pain, distress, or discomfort right now? And I'm thinking he's joking with me. He really thought. And I perked right up and said, well, no, I'm feeling very good. He said, wow, he looks pretty good for a guy that's been called for hospice. And we thought he was joking, but he kept wanting to care for me. I wish I had told him that my shoulder was sore. I have a rotator cuff there. <laughs> and then my wife, who's much smarter than I am, figured it out and said, uh, sir, the patient's in that bedroom. <laughs> He thought, I thought she looked awfully well. For, well <laughs> the kindness of God to bring levity to such a sober time. But the providence of God was so evident because this was a very talkative man who started to engage us about spiritual things. And Jan and Wendy and I got to share the gospel with him because he thought, yes, there is God's grace, but we must bring our effort. And I'm thinking this point right here, you know, Jacob means grabber, deceiver, supplanter. He has shown us a pattern of grasping the blessing. I will make this happen. I will manipulate. I will deceive. I will gain it for myself. All he does is make matters worse. He ends up stone cold asleep on the road. And God comes and says, here. Here. You do nothing. This is the way of grace. You do nothing except gratefully receive it. And in the process, I will make you a blessing to all the nations of the earth. That would be enough, would it not? But God is not done speaking to Jacob. He has one very special new promise for him, given his unique journey as blessing bearer number three. And I separate it out, even though itself is a promise. I'm making it stand alone for its significance. Again, we have perspective, Protection promises now presence. Look at Genesis 28, 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I'm with you. I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. 
This is huge. I'm with you. Listen to me. He's with you on the road, on the run, in the valley, through the storm. It's so significant that God comes to him and says, I am with you as you're on this hundreds of miles journey because you see the pagan deities of the day were landlocked. If you worshipped an idol, it was said to have boundaries. And once you crossed the county line, he no longer went with you. God says, Anywhere you go, anywhere I take you, I am with you, and I will bring you home. It reminds me of Psalm 121, 7 through 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you going out, and you're coming in from this time forth. And forever. Max Lucido in his book, In the Eye of the Storm, tells the story of a sailor named John. He had served on the sea since he was 11 years old. His father, an English shipmaster in the Mediterranean, took him abroad and trained him well for life in the Royal Navy. Yet what John gained in experience, he lacked in discipline. He mocked authority. He ran with the wrong crowd, indulged in simple ways of the sailor. Although his training would have qualified him to serve as an officer, his behavior caused him to be flogged and demoted. In his early 20s, he's made his way to Africa, where he became intrigued with the lucrative slave trade. At age 21, he made his living on the Greyhound, a slave ship crossing the Atlantic Ocean. John ridiculed the mural moral and poked fun at the religious. He even made jokes about a book that would eventually help reshape his life, the imitation of Christ. In fact, he was degrading that book a few hours before his ship sailed into an angry storm. That night, the waves pummeled the greyhound, spinning the ship one minute on the top of a wave, plunging her the next into a watery valley. John awakened to find his cabin filled with water. A side of the greyhound had collapsed. Ordinarily, such damage would have sent the ship to the bottom in a matter of minutes. The greyhound, however, was carrying buoyant cargo and remained afloat. John worked at the pumps all night. For nine hours, he and the other sailors struggled to keep the ship from sinking, but he knew that it was a losing cause. Finally, when his hopes were more battered than the vessel, he threw himself on the saltwater-soaked deck and pleaded, quote, if this will not do, then Lord have mercy on us all, 
and quote, John didn't deserve mercy, but she received it. The Greyhound and her crew survived. John never forgot God's mercy on that tempestuous day in the roaring Atlantic. He returned to England where he became a prolific composer. We have sung his songs, Amazing Grace, for one. This slave trader turned songwriter was John Newton. Along with his hymn writing, he was a powerful pulpiteer for nearly 50 years. He filled pulpits and churches with the story of the Savior who meets you and me in the storm, on the run, in the valley. A year or two before his death, people urged him to give up preaching because of his failing sight. What? He explained. Shall the old African blasphemer stop while he can yet speak? Remind me. Whatever the future holds, I have been a slave trader in other horrific ways. But this blasphemer turned Subject, object of amazing grace must not cease speaking. He would not stop. He couldn't stop. What had begun as a prayer of fear resulted in a lifetime of faith. During his last year, someone asked him about his health. He confessed that his powers were failing. My memory, quote, is almost gone, he said, but I, I remember two things. I am a great sinner, and Jesus is a great Savior. Two things we must remember from Genesis 28, On the Road with Jacob. We, like him, are great sinners, but Jesus is the great promise-making, promise-keeping Savior. God's blessing of his people is guaranteed wherever they go. When the sun's shining down on them, as well as in the desert place. Hard places, grace gifts. Finally, third, Blessing for heart responses. Jacob awakes in verse 16. Wow, what a night. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know this. Surely, how awesome is this place? Never forget this mile marker on the road to Haran. Oh my, how God had gotten his promise, his, his attention with the latter dream and his spoken promises. Has God come to you? Is he maybe even coming to you at this moment, wooing you with his grace 
undeserved, amazing grace, it warms your heart in response. I see three. Fear before God, verse 17, and he was afraid. He had seen the Lord Almighty. He was like John on Patmos in Revelation 1 at the glorious revealing of the brilliant Son of God who fell at his feet, though dead. There is an appropriate place in your heart for all. Fear before God. Two, worship of God. Verse 18, he takes the stone that was his pillow and set it up as a pillar and anointed it with oil, a common form of consecrating something for God's purpose. And he named the place Bethel, the house of God. He returns later in Genesis 35. I promise, Lord willing, we will get there. And so establish a place of worship for generations to come. Bethel, the house of God. Fear, worship, commitment. Commitment. Jacob makes a vow. It is the longest in the Old Testament and the first. Look at it. Verse 20. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. The first time Jacob talks that way. He's always somebody else's God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Now, this thing is a crazy maker for a lot of people. Some people say, ah, same old Jacob. Bargaining with God, you do this, you do that, I'll do this. And there are others who say, this is simply the standard form for expressing a vow. The if is not so much an if, maybe you will or maybe you won't, as it is a since this is what you're promising, you will be my God and I shall do these things. I land there. This is a man moving from fugitive to pilgrim. A man of faith on pilgrimage as blessings bearer number three. And the vow puts him on a different trajectory of life, substantively. He makes commitments. He's assuming these promises. That's how I take it. As an awestruck, worshiping now man, albeit still terribly flawed, on sacred pilgrimage. The promises of God, I will be with you, most notably, have implications for him. God is now his God, too. 
that how you talk? The father of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, my God, too. The stones shall be God's house where he will worship. Is there some place you are identified with and you are known to be there regularly? A heart commitment to do those Romans 12 lofty love and faith commitments in communities that Kurt read. And, oh my, where did this come from? I will give back to you a full tenth of all you have given me. I will tithe. Tithe does not become law for God's people until the Mosaic law in Exodus. And yet, the implications, the stunning implications of you are my God, you have come to me, you have called me to yourself, and have promised to be with me, means that the grabber is now becoming a giver. Perhaps one of the most significant evidences that the gospel has you captive in your heart. Once a self-consumed grabber now becomes a freewheeling giver. Here again, the central grace gift promise is repeated. To keep him and be with him. <laughs> Can we just... Let me tease this out as I close this message. I'm almost done. He'll hear it again in chapter 31, 3, when he's told after 20 years to go back to the promised land. He'll hear it again in chapter 46, 4. We're going to go there before I'm done, Lord willing, when God says, take you and your family but Greece doesn't have a wife yet. You and your family down to Egypt, where he'll be reunited with Joseph. This promise becomes a part of the benediction I plan, Lord willing, to pronounce after communion, the Lord bless you and keep you. Number six. It's packaged in a sign for fearful Israel in Isaiah 7:14. The virgin will be with child named Emmanuel. God is with us. That promise comes to a fulfillment in Jesus. Matthew cites Isaiah 7 in Matthew 1, 23. His name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus' birth announces God's presence with us. And even in his ascension to heaven, he assures us in Matthew 28, 20, Behold, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age, she is with us wherever we go and will see us safely home to a new heavens and new earth, 2 Peter 3.13. Where are you? You're running a race. You're on a road. You don't know 
If you're going to get in the car like Orlando Rivera did on Monday morning, think you're heading to New York, and somebody comes down I-4 the wrong way, and suddenly you're in the presence of Jesus. Or whether you'll go Judy Matson Johnson's way and live a full four-score plus and die at a ripe old age. But you're on that road. You're on that journey. Are you running away from something or are you running towards something? Where are you headed? What awaits you at the final destination? The hardest of places, the dark moment of your death. I have now been at three of those sides where I watched the final breath. The last enemy, Paul calls it. The final, most terrifying, hardest of dark places. Are you prepared for that place? Are you confident when you get there? God will be with you to the valley of the shadow, as Psalm 23, 4 says. Are you embracing his grace just to you, especially hearing him speak from his word? Nothing will assure you of God's promises nearly particularly his promise to be with you, than regular time hearing him speak. You don't have to wait for a dream. He's here. What commitments are you prepared to make, or are you, have you, will you make? How consistent are you with God's people in corporate worship. How's that commitment going? When did you last examine the percentage of your income that you give back to God? Whether you subscribe to tithing or grace giving as we teach here, how's that commitment doing? Is it operative? Jacob went from fleeing fugitive to sacred pilgrim because God showed up in his grace that night on the road. You and I are sacred pilgrims. And the more you savor the grace, the sweeter is every place and the better you will run the race. The more you savor the grace, the sweeter is every place, and the better you will run your race. Oh, Father, elevate our affections. May the things of this earth grow strangely dim before that final place demands it. Fill our heart with wonder and awe at you and your presence and your grace gifts. 
especially the promise to be with us. Thank you for Jesus, the ladder of Jacob's dream and making such sweetness and hope and the prospect of a well-run race attainable.